Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the People Processes Podcast, where we dive into the updates, interviews, and yes, processes that will help your organization thrive. My name is Rami Alijil, and my goal is to help HR managers and business owners create an environment where their people are their organization's competitive advantage. Today, we'll be doing a deep dive into arbitration agreements and a legal analysis of alternative dispute resolutions, ADRs, which is basically arbitration agreements. Uh, We want to look at what employees uh, need to do and employers need to do who want to use ADR in lieu of litigation. Oh, and don't forget, we're available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, and Google Play. Check us out, subscribe. You can also find us at peopleprocesses.com, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So let's dive right in. What are the issues that arise when considering whether or not to offer ADR, Alternative Dispute Resolution, to employees in the hope that they will use ADR in lieu of litigation? An employer wants to be sure that the process will be fair and objective, cost-effective, capable of protecting the employer's interests, reliable, binding on all parties, and a mechanism to provide closure so that the matter is actually put to rest. Many employers are requiring as a condition of employment that applicants and employees give up their rights to pursue employment discrimination claims in court and agree to resolve disputes through binding arbitration. The agreements to arbitrate may be contained in an employment contract, employee handbook, or employment application. The use of such agreements can be found in various sectors of the workforce, including the securities industry, retail, restaurant, hotel chains, healthcare, broadcasting, and security services. The enforceability of mandatory arbitration of statutory protected employee rights, such as the right to be free of discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, national origin, age, or disability, has been debated. In two decisions by the U.S. Supreme Court, the controversy was essentially put to rest. In 1991, the court ruled in Gilmer v. Interstate Johnson Lane Corp. that a claim subject to the Age Discrimination in Employment Act could be subject to compulsory arbitration as required by an agreement. Then, in 2001, the court ruled in Circuit City Stores, Inc. v. Adams that arbitration clauses in most contracts of employment, excluding employment contracts for transportation workers, are enforceable under the FAA. The rulings give employers broad authority to require employees to arbitrate employment disputes. Agreements to arbitrate often contain two relevant provisions, one providing for arbitration of all disputes arising out of the employment relationship, and one giving the arbitrator exclusive authority to resolve the gateway question of enforceability, basically the delegation provision. Where an agreement to arbitrate includes a delegation provision, it is for the district court to consider a specific challenge to the enforceability of that particular agreement. But if a party challenges the enforceability of the agreement as as a whole, the challenge is for the arbitrator. This is the result of a 2010 U.S. Supreme Court decision in Rent-A-Center West versus Antonio Jackson, where it was decided that where an agreement to arbitrate employment disputes give the arbitrator exclusive authority to resolve the gateway question of enforceability, and where the party challenges specifically the enforceability of that particular agreement, the district court considers the challenge. But if a party challenged the enforceability of the agreement as a whole, again, the challenge is for the arbitrator to decide. 
The EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, has maintained a different position. It has strongly supported voluntary alternative dispute resolution programs entered into after a dispute arises. The EEOC has asserted that mandatory binding arbitration of discrimination claims as a condition of employment is contrary to the fundamental principles of employment discrimination laws. Nevertheless, the Supreme Court, existing laws, is pretty well on the side of making that mandatory, of allowing that to be mandatory anyway. So there are some factors that go into this, though. Employers must have knowingly agreed to arbitrate employment discrimination claims before they can before they can be forced to arbitrate those claims. An employer argued that its employee's Title VII sexual harassment charge should be subject only to arbitration. However, the arbitrations agreement agreement's failure to describe which types of dispute were to be arbitrated prevented it from being a knowing agreement to arbitrate discrimination claims. The Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals in Patterson v. Tenet Healthcare held that an arbitration clause in an employee handbook which required to employees to submit any claims arising out of their employment to arbitration could be enforced against a Missouri employee even though the rest of the handbook was not enforceable. Okay, So um, it's pretty broad power, but in general we recommend uh, a very strong arbitration agreement that enumerates as many of those um, types of, of, of matters to be arbitrated as possible. <clears throat> there are some considerations. An arbitration agreement between job applicants and a third-party arbitration services provider that gave the arbitration firm complete discretion over arbitration rules and procedures, including the unlimited right to modify the rules at any time without employee consent, was deemed unenforceable. Having also retained complete discretion in choosing the arbitration forum, the firm's promise to arbitrate was illusory, and the employees therefore did not receive consideration for their promise to submit disputes to arbitration. Accordingly, two employees were free to pursue Sue Americans with Disabilities Act and Fair Labor Standards Act claims for unlawful termination when it was stated that broadly. So, again, narrow. You want to be very defined. <clears throat> voluntarily beginning arbitration is a little different. According to another case, an employee who voluntarily submitted a discrimination claim to arbitration was bound by the arbitrator's decision. The court held that a fired employee's Title VII race discrimination suit was barred by his voluntary initiation of binding arbitration to resolve his challenge to, to his termination. Even the fact that the employee had refused to sign the arbitration agreement did not prevent the arbitrator's decision from being final. According to the court, the FAA's writing requirement was satisfied both by an employer handbook establishing the grievance process the employee followed and by the employee's written request to submit his grievance to final and binding arbitration. So even if you don't necessarily sign an overall agreement, if the employee uh, submits his grievance to, for arbitration, that counts. Arbitration awards will not be upheld, though, if there is corruption, fraud, or wrongdoing in the process. This goes under coercion or misconduct. Thus, it was unlawful for an employer following the filing of discrimination charges with the EEOC to require employees upon penalties of termination to sign statements of a mandatory policy to arbitrate. So don't, don't do that, right? If they submit a claim and you don't have an arbitration agreement, don't fire them if they don't sign an agreement. Obviously, that's not going to work. There's, this is the big update and the reason we're covering this. On January 13th, 2017, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to review whether class and collective action waivers in an employment arbitration agreement violated the NLRA and whether the Federal Arbitration Act nonetheless trumps the NLRA. This is big. This just came out recently. This resolved a split caused by contrary answers to those questions declared by the NLRB and federal courts of appeals. The court consolidated three cases, NLRB versus Murphy Oil, 
Ernst & Young LLP versus Morris, Epic Systems Corpora Corporation versus Lewis for purposes of its review. In each of the three cases, an employer required as a condition of employment a contract providing for individualized arbitration proceedings to resolve employment dispute between the parties. However, each employee sought to litigate Fair Labor Standards Act and related state law claims through a class or collective action in federal court. On May 21, 2018, just a week or two ago, a divided U.S. Supreme Court held in Epic, System Corps, in Epic Systems Corp. versus Lewis that class and collective action waivers and arbitration agreements do not violate the NLRA. The NLRA does not have uh, does not endow employees with the right to pursue class action lawsuits, according to the High Court. Court. The FAA strongly favors the arbitration of disputes, including employment-related disputes, and it instructs federal courts to enforce arbitration agreements according to their terms, including terms mandating individualized proceedings. Therefore, employers may compel employees as a condition of employment to agree to waive the right to file suit and to mandate arbitration instead, and to require that such arbitration proceed on an individual rather than class-wide basis. Now, there's a lot more information about that. We have some links on our website. But the long and short is that not only can you require arbitration agreements, um, and they are enforceable, but the individualized nature of the arbitration agreement precludes class action lawsuits. So the EEOC announced in a policy statement that it's committed to the use of alternative dispute resolution in some cases where agreement between the parties is possible. ADR may not be appropriate in all cases in which the EEOC is involved. For example, where there is a need to establish policies or precedents, where resolution of the dispute will have significant impact on non-parties, where a full public record is important, or where, because of the nature of the case, the agency must maintain continuing jurisdiction. For the ADR proceeding to be fair in the eye of the EEOC, they require at a minimum voluntariness, voluntariness, neutrality, confidentiality, and credibility. Uh, I'm sorry, enforceability. Where ADR is inappropriate, ADR is not a viable alternative to litigation in every instance. For example, in a workers' compensation claim, each state has established its own proceedings and rulings that, as a general rule, form the employee's sole remedy. No matter what process and in what format, the courts demand due process and fairness in arbitration proceedings. Due process and fairness includes proper and adequate notice to all parties, clearly stating that all parties are to be governed by the process, proceedings where all parties have the right to present evidence and make arguments, and have the right to rebut evidence presented by other parties and challenge the other party's arguments, a provision that the final decision is that the that the final decision is final and binding, and possibly other procedural requirements based on each situation in context. There have been a ton of federal laws written or amended to encourage uh, arbitration or ADR, including the Civil Rights Act of 1999, amending Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, uh, the Section 1981 of the Civil Rights Act of 19 of 1866. Attorney Fee Awards Act of 1976, the ADA of 1990, Age Discrimination and Employment Act of 1967, and even the Federal Medical Leave Act of 1993. On our website, there are links to every one of these cases at peopleprocesses.com. Read it, check it out, dive in deep if you'd like. The long and short, though, is that arbitration agreements are here to stay as related to employment contract law. If you want to use them, please contact an attorney. We are not attorneys here. We are HR advisors, and we're giving generalized advice. Your specific situation may be different. Thank you so much for listening today. My name is Rami Alijil. Have a great day and go out there and get your work done.